بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم نحمد ونسلی علی رسول الکریم اما بعد الحمد للہ ٹونائٹ از دا ٹوینٹی فسٹ آف ڈسمبر ان دا ایئر ٹو تھاؤزنڈ اینڈ ٹوینٹی ٹو الحمد للہ وی موڈ آن ٹو of the eminent companion, Sayyidina Anas ibn Malik, radiyallahu. And the last thing I mentioned last night was the blessed family tree. So simply put, Anas radiyallahu, he was the third cousin of our beloved messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa And the common grand, great, great grandfather was Zaid. So Rasulullah's father was Abdullah radiyallahu. Abdullah's father was Abdul Muttalib. Abdul Muttalib's mother was Salama. And Salama's father was Zaid. And on Anas's side, his mother was Umm Sulaim, whose father was Milhan, whose father was Khalid, whose father was Zaid. And like I mentioned, due to this, Umm Sulaim was affectionately called the aunt of Rasulullah. So a question has been posed with regards to Umm Sulaim radiyallahu was she a mahram to our beloved messenger sallallahu alayhi wa the reason for this is that we have many narrations which indicate this for instance in Sayyid Bukhari number 6281 in the chapter on asking permission Sayyidina Anas radiyallahu he relates my mother Umm Sulaim radiyallahu She used to spread a leather sheet for Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa And he would take a midday nap on that leather sheet at her home. When the Prophet slept sallallahu alayhi wa she radiyallahu would take some of his sweat and hair and collect it, either sweat in a bottle and then mix it with suk, a kind of perfume whilst he was still sleeping. So the report continues, but this is the relevant part. So what does it clearly mention in Sayyid Bukhari? That Rasulullah would rest in her dwelling. I.e. and she would spread a leather sheet and she would then take some of his blessed uh, sweat and hair for tabarrak. So this indicates that she was mehra because the Prophet would go to his house. Uh, house. And similarly, in Sayyid Bukhari, number 2844, and Sayyid Muslim, Number 6319. Anas also relates radiyallahu. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam did not enter the house of any woman except his wives and that of my mother Umm Sulaim whom he used to visit. Once he sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was asked as to why this was the case. And he said, Inni arhamuha qutila akhuha ma'i. Verily, I feel great pity for her. Her brother was killed when he was with me. So here, Anas, again in Bukhari and Muslim, he explicitly says, the only woman he would go to, a problem of his wife, the dwelling, was my mother. <coughs> and when the companions asked, the Prophet said, Sallallahu I feel great pity for her. Inni arhamu, I great mercy. Because her brother, Sayyidina Haram, was killed when he was with me. 
Her brother was Sayyidina Haram ibn Milhan who was treacherously martyred during the battle of Bir Ma'una which will be mentioned at the relevant time. <laughs> so this was another reason the Prophet gave because her brother was martyred and the Prophet was, felt it was duty bound to show her more affection and love. <coughs> so Hafiz ibn Hajar Asqalani he elucidated in Fat al-Bari 6-51 and 8-461 <coughs> it is recommended to be kind to and look after the affairs of the families of one's brothers and all friends after their death. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam our leading example was kind to Sayyidina Umm Sulaim radiyallahu and visited her because her brother was killed fighting for him. He وسلم, considered kindness and compassion towards her as loyalty towards her brother and maintain, maintaining ties with him after his death. So Hafiz ibn Hajar Asqalani, he went on this chain of thought. He goes, Rasulullah was the best example in all fields and he would look after those who were near and dear to him who were martyred their families. So this is why he visited Umm Sulaim radiallahu Indeed, such was our beloved messenger's compassion towards Umm Sulaim that Umm Sulaim herself said, Rasulullah supplicated for me so much that I now do not desire anything more. Rasulullah supplicated for me so much so that I now do not desire anything more. This is recorded in Al Isaba. So now think about that. How much did the Prophet pray for? So she said, I've got no desires left. So meaning it must have been the whole of her worldly needs, the whole of her other worldly needs. And she goes, the Prophet made so much dua for me. So he would visit her, treat her like his own family. <coughs> and he made du'as again and again for her. And Rumaysa al-Ghumaysa, she has a very high maqam in Sayyid Bukhari. The Prophet he said that he heard her footsteps in paradise. <laughs> so this was during the Mihraj or definitely during a dream. Either way, it's revelation. So think about that because I heard her footsteps in paradise. So this was Anas's mother. So note she has a very high maqam. And apparently it seems to indicate she was mahram. But if you look at the lineage, she wasn't the real maternal aunt. She was one generation above the Prophet, but she was related to him. So affectionately, they would call her the aunt of Rasulullah. <coughs> so now let's turn to the father. The sad fate of Malik ibn al-Nadr and Anas's embracing Islam. So Anas's father was Malik ibn al-Nadr. Like I mentioned, she was the, they were second cousins, both the husband and wife. As mentioned, Sayyidah Umm Sulaim Radiyallahu's first husband was Malik ibn Nadr, who unfortunately did not embrace the glorious faith. In Ibn Sa'ad in his Tabaqat 8-425, Hafiz Zahabi in his Seer 2-305, Sayyidah Umm Sulaim Radiyallahu she said, The father of Anas arrived, he had been away, and he said to me, Have you become a heretic? I replied, no, but I have believed in him. Then I invited Anas, pointing to him and said, Say, O my son, La ilaha illallah, Muhammadur Rasulullah. 
And Anas said it, the father of Anas responded, do not corrupt my son. She replied, I am not corrupting him. So let's look at this. So he'd been away. So while all these momentous events were taking place, he suddenly arrived. And he, somebody told him, obviously, your wife become a Muslim. So when he asked, he didn't say, have you embraced Islam? Look what he said. Have you become a heretic? Meaning, have you left the religion of, you know, the forefathers? And she goes, no, I believe in the Prophet. That Allah is. And then look how interesting. She then told her son Anas, say, la ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah. So why did she wait for this moment? Because she was hoping that when the son openly declares his Islam, the father would follow suit. <laughs> but when his son said the Shahada, he said, don't corrupt my son. <laughs> and she goes, I'm not corrupting him. <laughs> Hafiz ibn Abdul Bar, Rahmatullah, further related about Sayyidah Umm Sulaim, she used to be under the care of Malik ibn Nadr in the Jahiliyyah and gave birth to his son Anas ibn Malik. When Islam arrived, I in Al Madina, with the blessed ambassador of the Prophet Mus'ab ibn Umar, she accepted it along with the rest of her tribe. She then presented Islam to her husband upon his arrival, but he refused. Eventually, he became angry with her. He departed to Asham and he passed away there. This is recorded in Al-Istiyab 4-1940, Hafiz ibn Hajar Asqalani in his Tahzib, At-Tahzib 12-471. <clears throat> so he adds details. What he basically mentions is that he didn't embrace Islam. And he was so angry, he left. And he passed away in Asham, according to this report. So what was the eventual reason for Malik ibn Nadr leaving his wife? So he mentions he left his wife. But what was the reason? In Bazar, Al-Haytami in Majma' Az-Zawaid, volume 9, page 291, he comments upon the chain of narrators, Hayat al-Sahaba, volume 4, page 153-4 of the New English Translation. Anas radiyallahu he said, My mother Umm Sulaim radiyallahu once came to my father and said, Today I have come with news that you will not like. His response you are always coming with news from that Bedouin that I always dislike. So she wanted to tell him something and she knew he's going to react negatively. Because I'm going to say something today, you're going to definitely going to dislike it. And what did he say? Malik ibn Nadr. He called the Prophet a Bedouin. He goes, you're always bringing news from that Bedouin I don't like. She responded, he is a Bedouin. Whom Allah the Almighty has selected and made a prophet. <coughs> Meaning he was suckled. Right? I bet by the Bedouins. For Allah the last appointed. He inquired, never mind all that. What is the new news that you want to give me? She replied, wine has been forbidden. I, it is on its way to be ultimately forbidden. To this he said in exasperation, then this is where we separate. And he left. He later died as a polytheist. <coughs> so let's look at this. She's now told her husband, wine has become forbidden. Meaning, and I'll explain, it wasn't forbidden. It was going to be forbidden. <coughs> because you look at the other reports and it helps to explain this fact. And he said, that's it. In other words, if I can't even drink, 
What's the point of being with you? And then he left and the report says he died as a polytheist. Confirming this reality further, Anas, he said, Radiyallahu, my father Malik ibn Nadr complained to his wife, Umm Sulaim, Radiyallahu, this man is forbidding intoxicants. Thus he departed to Asham and he died there. This is in Imam Ahmad in his Musnad and Shaykh Al-Bani states Sahih in Ahkamul Janais, page 35 to 38. So it's confirmed. It was the wine that was the straw that brought the camel's back. But now there's a problem. The mention of intoxicants is problematic. Why? For Umm Sulaim her second husband Abu Talha had not only by that time embraced Islam, but had fought courageously in Badr and then in Uhud, whilst the prohibition of intoxicants only came after the encounter in Uhud. So there's a problem. The problem is she can't obviously marry again until her husband has died or left, you know, whatever you want, whatever angle you want to look at. But when was Khamr forbidden? It was forbidden after Uhud. So she's definitely now married to Abu Talha. You understand? Right? Because he fought in Badr. He was a Muslim. And he fought in Uhud. And he was a Muslim. So how do you reconcile this? So first of all, to prove, in Sayyid Bukhari, Anas radiyallahu said, then it, i.e. intoxicants, were seen flowing in Al-Madinah. The people thereupon said, some Muslims were killed, I during Uhud, whilst wine was in their stomachs. I does this therefore negate their martyrdom. Upon this, Allah the Almighty and Lord is revealed in Surah Al-Ma'idah, Surah 5, verse 93. لَيْسَ أَلَى الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَعَمِلُوا الصَّالِحَاتِ جُنَاحٌ فِي مَا on those who believe and do deeds of righteousness, there is no blame for what they ate, i.e. consumed in the past. <laughs> so let's look at this. So in Sayyid Bukhari, what was the query? There were 70 martyrs at Uhud. <laughs> and the query was, some of them had died and they had drunk, because it wasn't haram. <laughs> Hamza had a drink. He was martyred with that in his system. And some other companions. So they were thinking, maybe they've lost their martyrdom. <laughs> Because they had that in their system. So Allah Ta'ala revealed those who believe and do righteous deeds, there is no blame for what they ate, i.e. in the past. <laughs> Meaning, they, it wasn't forbidden at the time. Now it's forbidden. So don't find fault with those who partook of this. <laughs> Abdullah ibn Mas'ud further clarified, Radiyallah, when the verse prohibiting intoxicants was revealed, i.e. verse 90 of Surah Maidah, the Jew said to the Prophet Did not your brother Hamza radiallahu who died during the encounter at Uhud not used to drink it? <laughs> Allah the Almighty revealed verse 93 <laughs> On those who believe and do deeds of righteousness there is no blame for what they ate I consumed in the past. This is in Hakim in his Mustadrak 4-143 Sahih Zahabi Sahih So look at interest. The Bani Israel always looking for opportunities. They found one. So they came to the Prophet and they said, Didn't your brother? Basically, like we say, didn't he knock your bike? Hamza radiallahu. And Allah revealed the verse saying, He's not to blame. So this proves what? 
clearly after Uhud, the prohibition came. So now there's the problem. How can the report which mentions that Malik was told intoxicant Sahara? Because he has to be after Uhud. Have you understood? So there's a contradiction. So this is how the scholars reconcile. This is why it's important to turn to the ulama. A possible reconciliation could be that the holy verses that were revealed prior to leading up to its ultimate prohibition. For instance, the evil outweighs its benefits in Surah Baqarah. And do not approach Salat when drunk, which must have occurred even before the glorious battle of Badr, is what caused Malik's reaction. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. So that's why when I mentioned the initial report, I put in brackets, it is on the way to be ultimately forbidden. That's the way to reconcile. So let's explain. So was intoxicants mere haram overnight? No. There's actually a few verses. <clears throat> the first in Surah An-Nahl, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions that from the vine, you get uh, a lawful rizq and an intoxicant. So Allah ta'ala actually revealed in Makkah that there's something wrong here. The intoxicant, he separated it from rizq. So some of the Sahaba got the message. They go, hang on a minute. <clears throat> Even though it's not haram, Allah Ta'ala has mentioned it separately. So some kept away from it there. <clears throat> the next verse to be revealed was the verse in Bakr, where Allah the Almighty and Glory says, they ask you about intoxicants and gambling. And then Allah Ta'ala mentions, in them there is some benefit but the evil outweighs its benefits. So Allah now is saying about khamr and gambling that there is some benefit in it, but there's more evil. Was that a prohibition? No. But more sahaba now kept away from it. Then another verse was revealed in Surah Nisa where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, O you who believe, do not approach salat when you are drunk. So now obviously you got five prayers during the day. The only time you could get drunk now is after Isha. So most of the Sahaba thought, but it's still not clear. Ultimately, Allah Ta'ala revealed verse 90 in Surah Maida, where Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala says, Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu innam al-khamru wal-maysir wal-ansabu wal-azlamu ridsum min amal shaytan fajtanibuhu la'allakum tuflihoon O you believe, <coughs> Verily, intoxicants and gambling, idols and fortune telling are all abomination from shaitan. Will you not abstain? <laughs> so Allah has mentioned four things in that verse. Idols is that makru. Right? Fortune telling is that makru. <laughs> Then he mentions intoxicants and gambling, meaning they're forbidden. And what's so beautiful about the sequence, it was Umar. Umar radiallahu. The hadith is in Nasa'i Tirmidhi, uh, authentic hadith. The Prophet, sorry, Umar radiallahu, he was asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, because Ya Allah, please make it clear. And Allah Ta'ala was revealing these verses in response to Umar's du'as. And when this last verse was revealed, verse 90, he goes, that's it, it's haram. So now keeping all that in mind, Go back to the report. 
the report mentions that Malik, what did he say? What is the news that you have brought? Um Sulaim said, wine has been forbidden. If you stop there, you get the impression, oh, that verse in Surah Maid has been revealed. No. The meaning here is, it's on the way to being ultimately forbidden. Have you understood? It's on the way. So, what's happening? The earlier verses were being revealed. And she was trying to warn her husband, saying, look, you know, you're not a Muslim, but this is also now not going to be allowed in the household because it's forbidden. And he, he goes, that's it. Time to go. It is also most informative that Sayyidina Umm Sulaim did not remarry until she heard of Malik's passing away, which occurred shortly after in the land of Sham, indicating they had not divorced. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. So all it says, he died. So question, did, what, did he divorce his wife? So if he divorced his wife, it's possible. But then the question remains to be asked, why did Umm Sulaim not get, not get married then? Why did she wait until her husband died? So it seems more plausible that she was still hoping that he'd see the, you know, the truth, he'd come back. But when she heard that he sadly passed away, then she got married. So what seems more appropriate, there was no divorce. And that's important to highlight why. Because Malik had looked for Umm Sulaim. But it was Islam that was getting in the way. That was the thorn in his side. So why am I mentioning all that? Because we can't deny our lineage. Anas ibn Malik. You know, you'd say, forget Malik, right? He wasn't a Muslim. He died in unbelief. Rather, Anas ibn Rumaysa. Or Anas ibn al-Rumaysa. You understand? We can't do that. We have to go by the father. So no, there's a lesson here. The lesson here is you can't deny your lineage. Even if your father... God forbid, dies without Iman, you still have to say you're the son of so-and-so. And that's why you get many leavers who embrace Islam and they mention their father. So they'll change their name to an Islamic name. She goes, what's your name, brother? He goes, Abdullah. He goes, oh, Abdullah ibn John. <laughs> then you go, John, that's my father's name. He goes, what? He goes, what? is he Muslim? Well, you know, no, he's still a Christian. But you can't change his name. <laughs> Right? So, note again, here, Anas ibn Malik. Uh, and the other thing is, he was only young at the time. So, what you, what you, what you notice is nurturing by his mother. His mother was trying to, you know, you know, use him to be instrumental in trying to convince his father to embrace Islam. But, sadly, he didn't. So, all I mentioned today, was two things. The first is, was Umm Sulaim radiyallahu a mahram to our beloved messenger? And the answer seems to be yes, even though she is not the real aunt of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And I'm going to give you the reasons the scholars have given. And then secondly, wanted to mention the sad fate of Malik ibn al-Nadr. And of course, Anas is embracing Islam during this uh, scenario. Are there any questions you'd like to ask? Subhanahu wa bihamdi, subhanahu wa lahum wa bihamdi ka ishwala ilahi illa anta astafariqa atubilayka bidullahi minashid al-jim subhanahu wa bihamdi ka ishwala ilahi illa anta astafariqa atubilayka bidullahi minashid al-jim subhanahu wa bihamdi ka ishwala ilahi illa anta astafariqa atubilayka bidullahi minashid al-jim subhanahu wa bihamdi ka ishwala ilahi illa anta astafariqa atubilayka bidullahi minashid al-jim subhanahu wa bihamdi ka ishwala ilahi illa anta astafariqa atubilayka bidullahi minashid al